Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Get Real with Mama Moines. I am your host, Emily Moines, and today I am joined by a very special guest, Jen. And hi, Jen. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing great on this very rainy, dreary day. <laughs> yeah, it's raining here too. Are you in Vancouver? Are you no, in- I'm actually in Waterloo, so uh, oh, not you're too in Waterloo. Far from Okay, you. so yeah, yeah, so it's it's crazy weather here everywhere. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, it's raining and cloudy and gloomy and yucky. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I just wanted, um, I just want everyone to know that uh, these guests that are coming on for the review of the book rising up are all, um, are all followers that found me somehow, some way uh, have purchased the book on Instagram. And how did you come to find me? Um, So I actually found you through Blake. So when he was on the first season of The Bachelor, um, I, he mentioned something to do with having, being raised by a single mom. And um, I forget exactly what he said, but it was something that triggered my um, thought process of how my son would be coming out of a situation that was similar to his. Um, so he mentioned being Portuguese and then also the single mom component. And um, I have a six-year-old son and I also had left a domestic situation um, and his father was the abuser. So I was curious about how Blake turned out because of that and then when you came on the show um for the part to do with the family um coming home then I saw your name and then I was able to connect to you through there yeah and and to be you know totally honest I think that a lot of women um found me through yeah been on the bachelorette um and through Blake and yeah I just want to preface it by saying that Blake's dad his his biological um, his, his dad, um, is not the person that the book is, the book is predominantly about. So it was my second marriage. Yep. So it's Blake's stepfather, uh, cause his, his dad is, has been great and hands-on and, and very, um, active, um, plays a very active role, but it was the second marriage. You think you'd fucking learn the second time, but yeah. <laughs> no, it was uh, a little, yeah, it was definitely for me. Um, but it was a major, major breakthrough for my life, having gone through that experience. And today I even say that I'm thankful for it because it has got me to where I am today. And I've learned so much from having been in that, um, in that environment, in that tumultuous, uh, relationship for so long. Um, and also just for the listeners to know. Today, Jen and I are going to talk about chapter two. And I believe, Jen, that when you reached out to me on Instagram, I asked um, everyone who received the book just to reach out and let me know which chapter resonated with you. And then I would be more than happy to bring you on the podcast so we can have a conversation. And you had actually given me two chapters, chapter two and four, but chapter two specifically was um, back up. And the backup in the book was me backing up to explain a little bit about my childhood and how it can really play a role and can really, you know, play a role in conditioning you for how you move forward with your relationships. So tell me a little bit about um, why that resonated with you and just a little bit about your, your background. Um, so my parents are also both from Portugal, um, got married very young um, and that 
chapter specifically resonated a lot with me just because I remember when I left that relationship, when I was in the relationship, I didn't see any parallels between my parents and um, their relationship and my relationship and who I chose to have as my partner. But um, when I was reading that chapter and seeing how there was a lot of parallels between your Portuguese upbringing and looking back at your dad's behaviors and actions and behaviors with your mom, and then also looking at your mom's life aside from your dad. Um, it just kind of resonated with me because I, I never really looked at, um, when I left that relationship, I never looked at my dad. I actually moved back home after I left the relationship several times when we broke up. Cause I went back probably five or six times. And very, every time I would very common, by the way, it's five yeah. times statistically before you leave for good. Yeah. So when I read that, it kind of, it actually made me feel a little bit better reading your book, knowing that there's other people that also go back several times, but I went back a lot. And when I would go back, I would never look at, you know, I'd look at coming home as like a relief. Like, you know, these are my parents. These are people I trust. Um, but I remember coming home the first time with a black eye and my dad said, what did you do um, to mm. cause it? And I remember that was one of the reasons I went back. Cause then I reflected on, you know, the, my dad, this patriarch of her family who, you know, was my everything um, thinking that I had done something and reflecting on what did I do to cause that, that situation. Um but then looking at, you know, your parents and um, kind of reflecting on your dad, but then also on your mom and what her life was like, that's what I've spent the last several years since I've been out of that relationship, because I've been away from it for five years now. I reflect and I spend a lot of time with my mom as a person and seeing who she is outside of my dad and kind of pulling her away from that situation. But then also having been in that abusive situation, I have in like an intolerance now five years out for any behaviors in, that I see in people, especially in men towards women that kind of um, trigger something that reminds me of the situation I was in. So when my dad, you know, demands that my mom gets up to go to the kitchen to serve him, I'll say, you know, are your legs broken to my dad? Um, and I oft, I'll often say, you know, why can't you get that yourself like and I'll try to teach him how to do something like start the coffee maker on his own it's an automated coffee maker there's no reason he can't do it um or when my dad is demanding that my mom get up and serve my son and I when we're there I'm like I'm his mom I can feed him it's okay so it's things like that that when I was reading the book and just seeing a lot of times I think it's like you know my my own family that's like that but reading the book it was like you know your parents were very similar to that. And then my curiosity after reading the chapter was, did you feel that you noticed those characteristics in your dad and your mom's relationship after you left the domestic situation that you were in? Or did you notice those behaviors that he had before that? Because um, I didn't notice until after. Yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, that's really interesting that you didn't notice them until after. So I, th I think subconsciously what I didn't understand is that I had sort of set out unconsciously to marry that the same man that was my dad, like the similarities were like, they were eerily similar. They even shared the same name, which really freaked me out. Um, and I think for sure, when I was living at home, for sure, I did not nor do any of my sisters have a strong relationship with my dad. So for sure, I knew that what he was doing was definitely wrong. 
And to this very day, I still find it very difficult to have a relationship with him. Um, I, I'm getting better in terms of understanding now. Like you kind of remind me of my sister, actually, my younger sister, who is like, well, what's wrong with your legs, dad? Or she has zero tolerance, zero. Whereas I've come to more of a place now of, of compassion. And I'm not, that's not excusing his behavior because you obviously read the book and, and it was terrible. I mean, it was horrible towards my mom. Um, but what I've come to understand more than anything else, anything, and again, it's not excusing his behavior, is that he really was a product of his environment. He really, he as well was conditioned to be the person that he is. So he came from a home where his father and grandfather were both alcoholics and, uh, and uh, abusive physically, mentally abusive towards their wives. And also coming from Portugal, I feel like even now when I go back and from the North, so we're like in a village, I feel like we literally are going back 500 years. It's so, so primitive. Um, he didn't have the wherewithal to, to um, I think, to do better, to know better. He really was a, a product of his environment. And that's the only, that's the, when I can offer up a smidgen of forgiveness or a smidgen of trying to understand, I, I go back to that. And I remember I was born in Portugal and I remember I was there until I was seven or eight. So I remember vividly my grandmother and my grandfather having explosive um, arguments, um, which translated into my mom and my dad having those same explosive arguments, usually alcohol induced, usually. Um, and so I did know when I was living at home that it was that it was wrong and it was not right. And so many times I had such disdain for my mom because I might would be like, how, how are you? Like, you don't even fight back. My mom never, ever, ever fought back. She just took it and took it and took it. And whether that was just with words or physicality, she never did. What I didn't know is that later on in life, what I had seen and observed and watched was almost being ingrained into me to search out that same personality type. The only time I didn't fuck it up was with the children of my father. And I left that marriage. And I think I left it because it was boring. There wasn't that toxic passion. I think I've been through therapy and that's what I was told. But I, to answer your question, Jen, I did know at the time that his behavior was just horrible, um, but didn't know that I would be repeating sort of the same pattern as my mom. That's yeah, I remember, I remember reading somewhere that um, even abuse can seem familiar. So like, you know, you, yes. you, you, you kind of, it's not that you seek it out, but that you don't, um, that it feels um, familiar. So you're magnetized towards that because that's something that you understand in a relationship. So maybe that was part of it. But I, I so when you, when you see your dad doing those kind of behaviors, do you call him, are you able to talk to him about how his past formed those situations? Like, or how he is with your mom now? 
no, God, we're Portuguese. I mean, no, yeah. we don't talk about anything. We fucking sweep everything under the rug. Nothing is talked about. I don't know about your, your household, but in my household, it's, it's old school Portuguese. And what I mean by that is my dad is still very much um, the head of the household. And the mentality really is you make your bed, you lie in it. End of story, period. I remember, I remember telling my mom that I was going to get divorced again. And I remember my mom saying to me, I swear to God, in her Portuguese, very thick accent, oh my God, but we give you money. What are you going to do? But oh, every man's bad. Like, holy shit, zero, zero support and understanding because that's her conditioning. And yeah. that's what her parents were telling her. So you make your bed, you lay in it. So it's very, the mentality is very, you know, he's head of the household. It's a very chauvinistic relationship where she is the woman. She does the cooking, the cleaning. She literally takes care of his every need. His yeah. role was just to go to work, which is fine is fine i get it and there's sometimes very distinct roles and it works but in this situation she was at his beck and call she remains at his beck and call he is not nice about demanding that she so wine for example wine is like breakfast lunch and dinner they make their own wine there's a barrel room in the basement and it's her job and her responsibility to get the wine and if the kanaka is empty she should the Kanaka is pictured for Portuguese. Yeah. She should instantly know that it needs to be refilled or to get the salt. And he's not a type, like sitting with him at dinner, he would never ever, and this is, this is what makes me so sad. And I feel like I'm totally monopol monopolizing the conversation now. And I don't want to do that. I want you to talk, but I get so, I'm so passionate about this. What makes me so sad is that woman, my mom is going to go through an, an entire lifetime of, and I could cry, like I could cry because she's going to go through an entire lifetime of not knowing what it's like to be truly loved by a man, truly adored and cherished and taken care of. Because just wanting a simple glass of wine or a salt or whatever, he doesn't politely ask for those things. It is demanded of her. And in, in a very aggressive tone, like she should have known better that the potatoes were undersalted. And that is very difficult for me to watch because I try to have compassion on both sides. Whereas my sister, like I said, is a lot more vocal than I am. But the problem with being vocal sometimes in my household is that it, it, it literally, it's like poking the bear, right? Yeah. So I don't know if that's like, that, that it's like that with your dad, but it's poking the bear. And I try to not poke the bear anymore because my mom takes the brunt of poking the bear. Yeah. See, I, I, at the beginning, that's how it, I think it was where if I poked the bear, it was like that. But, um, now it's gotten to the point where, you know, an example is, you know, my dad needed to go to the pharmacy to go pick up my mom's medication. And he is the, you know, provider. He's the one that handles all the finances and all of that stuff. And, um, my dad needed to go to the pharmacy, which meant that I was going to drive him to the pharmacy to go pick those up. And my mom was standing with her hands in her pockets, 
at the top of the stairs and my dad couldn't find his wallet. So he screamed at her, how is you standing at the top of the stairs with your hands in your pocket helping me? Um, and I said, it's not her job to find your wallet. You lost it. So we, uh, we got in the car and before we drove anywhere, I pulled over to the side of the road and I just said, mom is not the reason that you lost your wallet. Mom is not the reason that, you know, you're not feeling well and that you need to go to the pharmacy to pick this up. Mom did not do any of X, Y, Z. So we're not leaving here until you understand that until you realize that you can't scream at her for every single thing that goes wrong in the household. Cause it's not her fault. And he was very yeah my 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 curiosity there is and I commend you for that good on you how does he react to that so a year ago or two years ago he would have reacted completely different now his reaction is to come home and he's completely calm and a couple of days ago we were sitting in the kitchen and my mom was sitting there talking to me my dad believes you sit down at the table to eat and you don't communicate so when I was with when I was with my ex, yes. you know, we had family dinners together and that's what drew me in. And that honeymoon stage was like, you know, family dinners with his son and us together and, and, um, communication, no TV, no technology with my dad's head down, shovel your face. And then my mom will sometimes not even be, be seated yet. And he's already eaten. Because oh my God. I feel like we're living paralyzed. <laughs> and, I, and it drives me insane because, you know, he, she, he expects her to serve everybody and then he takes off on the table. So you know, she was sitting there communicating with me about her life um, in Portugal before me, which I really like bring up those conversations. And most of the time, my mom is very quiet, but because she's talking about her animated life and, you know, her brothers and stuff like that back in Portugal, um, my dad was getting annoyed in the other room because, you know, the conversation isn't about him. It is. And, and she's talking to me while I'm eating. So he you know, walked by and he kind of punched her arm and said, like, why don't you leave her alone? Because look, she's not even eating because they always think I'm anorexic because I'm too small and I'm Portuguese. (laughs) Why are you not? Why don't talk to her while she eats so that she eats her food? And shovel more bread and meat in your mouth. Like, what is wrong with you? But he was blaming my mom for communicating with me. and And I just went over to him and I punched him back in the arm. And I said, how does that feel? Like, why would you punch her in the arm for her sitting talking to her daughter like stop trying to control everything that happens in this house and he smiled not in like a a negative smile or a cocky smile or anything he smiled like a a good smile and then I said to him if if you hurt her you will never see her again I will take her from you and you will never see her again conversations we've had and we've had these conversations and I just, I, and I keep on telling him that. And whenever I say that I've asked my mom, cause I, I do worry about how the reaction is after I leave. He's always yeah. nicer to her after. And my dad had stage four cancer. And during that time, I would say the relationship was the best because he was so indebted to her and how she took care of him. And he'll, he'd say, you know, I wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for her. And so I think it took him getting ill to kind of change a little bit of his behavior but my dad is never he's not an alcoholic he doesn't drink um so I can't say anything like that like and that's probably why I didn't recognize that my ex drank so much was because I didn't grow up in a household where there was drinking or wine ever at the table like that never happened maybe at Christmas my dad would have it but he never touched it himself but my I just see these little nuances of how he you know takes advantage of her and he um doesn't appreciate her and so I'll point out 
you know, if he's commenting on the salt thing, like everything has to be so salty, you know, uh, that it's not flavored enough or whatever. And then I was like, then just go hungry. Like she's not remaking food for you and she's not going to kill the rest of us by, you know, making salty food. And, um, I think that that's, I think my vocalization has helped her in a lot of ways, but you're right. In a lot of situations, it can really be, can make it more toxic. Um, but in, well, yeah. I remember, I mean, I remember, um, I remember I was, I think for my 18th birthday, maybe I was 17. I, I can't remember 17 or 18th birthday. I went away overnight with my boyfriend and I remember coming home the next day and my mom, there was um, wine stain down the back of the back of the stove on the like the backsplash. Yeah. And my mom had a bruise on her face. And I remember asking her what happened. And he in probably probably drunk, probably um, took it out on my mom. He's very triggered by quote unquote loose women. And so he took it out on my mom that I being such a slut yeah, yeah. would um, have the audacity to spend the night with my boyfriend. And he brought it up to her. She defended it and he went ballistic. And that's why I'm so sensitive to being the cause of her pain or being the cause yeah. of her taking the brunt of anything that, you know, ha that has been my, my fault or my responsibility or my, you know, setting him off. And that's why I still to this very day do walk on eggshells a little bit around him because I don't have, um, I don't have the power to protect her when I'm not there and when we leave. And so, um, and let me ask you something. Is your ex, was he Portuguese? No, not at all. No. So when did you start sort of noticing or seeing that these, he had, you know, abusive tendencies? I would say not. Like at the beginning, it was, he, he has a nine-year-old. He had a nine-year-old son. So I, he portrayed himself as this like very good father and overbearing father and loving father and that he really uh demonized his ex-wife and that she was a mm. bad mother to the red child flag. red flag yeah and that's mm. and those are the things that you know I had not been in a relationship with someone with a child um I'd been in relationships before that were pro like a little bit more serious but nothing as serious as this like I moved in within you know, three weeks, I was living there at his house full time with him and his son. Um, but when he would demonize her, it should have been a red flag. But because I'd never been in that situation. And because I saw this child always at his house with him, I thought, what kind of mom wants her, would give up her child all the time, like every weekend, she was off with her other husband, and she would leave her child with us, I realized after I left that that was a coping mechanism for her. She created a different life because she knew she couldn't fight against this person. Um, so he, like, he would call her toxic names and text her and he would call her like a cunt and a whore and all these names that were just completely inappropriate. And I should have seen those all as red flags, but to me, yes. how he treated me was so different from that, that I thought what must've happened to this person to get him to this point of anger with him, um, with her. 
but then I started seeing him the way he treated his son. Um, and then that was like a red flag for me. You know, why is he so mean to him about school? Why is he screaming at him at the hockey rink? And, um, those were the times that I would leave the situation and then I would go home and then it would be his son calling me and saying, can you come back home? I miss you at the house. So I'd go back and then I became a buffer between the dad taking it out on me versus taking it out on this child. So then okay. if he was mad at me and if he could vent to me about, you know, the ex, the ex-wife and he could vent to me about, you know, his son's schoolwork, then I could take that pressure off him. And when I started doing the schoolwork with the son, then he was, super coddling to me like I was this amazing person helping him with his child um and then he didn't have that the son didn't have that pressure of being yelled at for getting things incorrect so I could you know hide you know the 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 bad test scores and that kind of stuff and work with his child with it and I was talking to the teachers instead and then you just become like this buffer in between and you don't realize what you're doing yeah Yeah. you know what I'm just gonna I'm gonna actually pause you there and hold your thought and it's really interesting that you're actually saying this so I think a couple of days ago, it was yesterday, I can't remember, I've lost track of time. I just did a video about, um, put out a post about a girl who has been murdered and who was murdered in Windsor. Yeah, I watched that, yeah. Amanda Lyons. Um, so it was a friend of mine that um, had DM me and asked if I could please post, uh, share the GoFundMe page because she's um, left three well, orphaned kids now I think they're orphaned because they're looking for the father who they believe killed the mom and so I put out that post talking about why sometimes women don't um don't leave or um because my, my friend was feeling terrible that she felt like she failed her friend and I said well you can't you know you can't hold yourself responsible because oftentimes they, they don't tell you what's really going on behind closed doors and you don't know and they're ashamed and they're afraid. And um, so then I had a, a comment that was left in my DM by uh, one of my followers that said exactly what you're saying, Jen, that um, in her particular situation, she didn't leave because she needed to be the buffer yes. between the abuser and her children. And that she felt like, I think I actually reposted her comment because I'm like, well, that's a point that I had completely overlooked that if she left the marriage and the court system gave the abusive dad, husband, uh, custody, temporary custody of those children, then she's now in a position where she has absolutely no control and she cannot save them. She cannot protect them. And so it goes right back to what you're saying with this, uh, your stepson is you basically acted like the buffer. So yeah. that you would, uh, yeah. So yeah, really interesting dynamic as to another reason why. I think a lot of, I think gone. a lot of women stay for that exact reason, whether it's their own biological children. Like I, you know, I had worked in the court system, so I knew that things that he was doing, like, you know, pushing me down the stairs, trying to strangle me, screaming at his child, controlling, making me change my phone number so that no one from my past could contact me, making me all this happened to you. Yeah. Like I had strangled and yeah, he strangled me and said he could kill me. He threw me down a flight of stairs. How, um, how, 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 how far, how, how soon, how soon into the relationship did this start happening? The controlling things of changing my number, um, not letting me leave to see my family, 
um, creating situations. Like I didn't even realize it until like I was in, I was in and out of the relationship that he would do things like on the weekends, he would have to work. He would make sure that his son needed me to take him somewhere so that I was busy with his child. So he knew I wasn't going back home to my parents. Um, and my parents only lived 10 minutes from him, but he had this view that he would vilify my family and vilify my dad and vilify my parents that they didn't like him. They didn't accept him because he had been married before in their old school Portuguese. Um, he would create situations where I would have to be caring for his son so that I couldn't go anywhere. Those controlling things started probably six months in. Um, but then they just got worse and worse as time went on. And, um, were you married at that? uh, We were, we were, um, engaged. So again, another, isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy? Like young girls, if you're listening to this, when they show you who they are, believe believe them them the first freaking time, not six months, six years, 10 years later. Because it's, isn't it crazy now when you look back, you had all those signs, you had all those red flags, and you still went on to marry him. And you're, you're, you're not alone. You are no. not alone in that. And that person that DM'd you about the Amanda Lyons situation, um, when I read your, watched your video and read your post, like, I think what really resonated with, with me there that I felt so bad for that person, because I know that. I was lying and hiding stuff from my parents um, as well, which I had never done before. And my sister and I are best friends and I was keeping things from her. Um, And that lying and hiding stuff from your family and, you know, projecting that things are really great to your family. That's all your your intuitive part of yourself telling you that something is wrong in that situation. Otherwise you wouldn't hide that from your family. hundred percent. And I think what we're, what we lack in society is we don't teach and I'm saying females or males because males can be abused too, but we don't teach our kids to trust that instinct in our, mm-hmm. in our body. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that I took away that I'm very, whenever I get that gut feeling, I yes. trust it. And I believe in it now, because if I look back to those situations, I knew that things weren't good. And it wasn't until the police were called the first time that the police ended up calling my brother, who is a police officer in a different town to come and bring me home to make sure I got home to my parents safe. And when we got back there, my brother, we're kind of similar to your family. Like we don't really talk about feelings or things that are happening in our relationships. But I remember my brother who is, you know, 10 years older than me, 11 years older than me um, saying, you know, you can't go back to that situation. You know that you can't fix that little boy and you can't protect him. And um, I ended up going to counseling to kind of deal with these, you know, being out of that abusive situation. And I reported what was happening to that little boy um, in the house. So that counselor at the time, I didn't know that had to report that to family and children services, um, which is our local like child aid society. Mm -hmm. And they, their view was, okay, we're going to contact the mother of the child. Well, the mother of the child didn't defend the behavior, like didn't protect the child. And she just said, well, you know, maybe something happened that caused the dad to yell at him. And so now I'm in a situation where both sides of these of this child aren't there to protect the child. So what do I do? So then it became I was involved in that toxic situation where I'm hearing the dad scream at the kid, who did you tell? Because they didn't disclose who had the information had come from yelling, yelling at the kid yelling at the mother. And I thought I just made the situation so much worse. And so 
I had gone back by the time family and children's services started to investigate. And I'm at the point where like, I'm just trying to buffer this child again. And now I'm thinking, I just made this kid's life a thousand times worse. And so that woman who DM'd you, um, you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. And even if she told you, you can never get that person to leave that situation until she's ready. You can provide support. You can provide an ear, a listening ear. You can be a reminder that, you know, this situation is not healthy for you, but you know, that woman, Amanda, her instinct that, you know, society might not protect her kids if she left is completely right. It didn't, it didn't protect my son. Now it doesn't protect um, that child going, growing up. Um, They just look at it as unless the child has a broken arm from the dad and you have physical proof, the child is lying or you're implanting those thoughts in your kid's head. They don't take that, that mentality. And when you go to get that person charged, you need evidence of everything. And if it's all behind closed doors and there's no texts where the person's admitting what they've done, or there's emails admitting you're up, up against a wall of trying to prove that this person is who you say is because they come off as calm. And I know you talked about that in the book, they come off as calm and perfect in person that you would never know that they are who they are behind closed doors. Um, So that girl should not kick herself. I think the most important thing for people who are in the support situation of a woman who they know is in an abusive situation is to be there to create a safety word. Like I had a safety word with my sister, which was chocolate cake. If I called her and said I was craving chocolate cake, she knew that something was wrong and I needed help to get out of that house. Um, So how did you, how did you get out of that relationship? Um, It was he, um, after my son was born, he promised that he would make things better. He would be um, a better person. Um, He FNCS got involved, Family and Children's Services got involved the day my son was born um, and ended up having to come to the hospital because he was so um, abusive in messages while I was in child, like he wasn't there for the birth of my son. And he was very abusive and showed up at the hospital and was abusive to me in the hospital. Were you already done at that point when you were giving birth or you were still at the hospital? The, the day I went into labor, we went to uh, go shopping, grocery shopping and uh, clothing this is shopping with his, this is with his mom story. Okay, yeah. sorry, go ahead. He, um, so he we went shopping with his mom. I was exhausted. I was five days overdue. I was definitely like fussy for sure. Um, it was a super hot day he I wanted to rest when I got home the house was really loud with his mom there like she doesn't hear very well so she had the tv up kind of loud we had his son had friends over and I just couldn't rest and then my ex had a buddy of his over at the house so he decided to bring his buddy into the house to give him a tour of the house while I'm trying to lay down and brought him into the room where I'm laying down so I reacted of like you know I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And then I brought up the trigger point, which I didn't realize was the word, even the word trigger point. But I said, I'm going to go to my parents' house and drop off the cats because I was going to be going into labor anytime then or it'd be induced. And so our idea was to move the cats out of the house to my parents um, where they go for vacation anyways um, for the first couple of months while we had the baby at home. And so I uh, the fact that I said I was going to go sleep over at my parents' house just completely set him off. Yeah. He started screaming at me. He called me a whore. He told me to pack my bags and not come back. Um, so I left the house. Um, and, you know, his mom listened to all of this, was sitting on the couch listening to this and didn't, she, you know, looking back at her life, she was obviously also afraid yeah, of them yeah. as well. So I don't spite her at all for it, but no one, 
she didn't say anything. So I just grabbed my overnight bag and the cats and he had said this before, don't come back. And then, you know, would beg for me to come back. So I thought I'm just going to go and, you know, I am loving this podcast right now because you are giving me and the listeners so much validation. It's a script. You could write it. Yeah. Like your behavior. Yeah. Like her behavior. The come to go, the come to go that, sorry sorry you're I'm getting triggered no no and that's and when I when I looked into Amanda Lyons's story a little bit it was very triggering to me too because I can understand why she stayed where she wasn't even reading your book it was triggering as well so I get that but yeah so I left and went to my parents place and then I went into labor that night I messaged him and told him I'm in labor he told me to go fuck myself and uh, not to come home and that he was going to he didn't believe me that was the other thing everything I said was a lie he never believed me um, and he said he was turning off his phone and going to bed and basically screw you so I went into labor uh, my family I was at my parents house which is my most comforting place anyways yeah, um, yeah. And which is probably why the baby decided to come then. And so I went into labor. I, my sister came, my brother came, my brother's wife came. They all rallied around me, went to the hospital. My sister was there. And while I was, I was so afraid of him, you know, not being a part of that process that even though I didn't want him there, uh, I felt the need to tell him, you know, I'm in at the hospital, I'm in labor, I'm in active labor. I didn't know any of these terms. So when the nurse was telling me, I would fill him in on what, whatever was happening. And um, I called the house several times. I called a cell phone. He had them both turned off. So I just left voicemail saying I'm in labor. He turned on his phone at some point during the night, maybe early in the morning on the next morning and told me I'm taking apart the crib, which my parents had purchased for our son. Um, and it will be on your parents' front porch. I fucking hate you. Go burn in hell. All of those things. Well, the nurse that was at the hospital, who is an angel, um, was reading these messages over my arm and seeing me in tears and seeing me upset. And she took my phone away from me and she said look like you've notified him this is not a healthy situation I'm done with this conversation so I had a great birth uh, great doctors great nurses my sister was there who's my best friend so it was a perfect thing and then when my son was born a nurse came and whispered something to the doctor and he said absolutely not he's not coming in here so I knew he was there and right away my blood pressure went up the machine started going off the nurse was like, you know, we can't let him in here. I'm like, you have to let him in because he's going to freak out if you don't let him in. So they let him in. He wouldn't look at me, wouldn't touch me, wouldn't, uh, didn't say congratulations, no kiss, no nothing. Just took our son from me who's on my chest and put him over on the table to weigh him with the nurse. Um, and for the next three days I was in the hospital, um, he was really rough with the nurses. He screamed at my sister, told my sister to leave. I was only allowed one support person. He demanded it be him and that my sister go home. Um, the nurses then called family children's services and social work. And that is the moment that if somebody said, you know, when do you think you should have left? That was the moment that I should have never gone home with him. But his mom was here from a different province. Uh, his dad was arriving. I knew that you know, they were going to want to see the baby. I thought I'm going to give him, he promised me that um, in tears beside my bedside after screaming at me an hour before that, you know, he would be better and that he wanted me and our son to come home. 
So, and then I loved his other son that was there at the house. You know, it's my, my new baby's big brother now. So I went home with them and, but family and children services was still involved and still checking on me. And that worker was amazing. And she knew that something was wrong and that this wasn't a healthy situation. He right away enrolled in counseling, which is another thing. If a person enrolls in counseling, you feel like you give them extra time, right? Like, I don't know what happened in his past that caused him to be such an angry person. Um, I'm going to, you know, stay here and see what happens. So I, um, he started counseling. Rarely, rarely, rarely works. The prognosis is not good for this, for this type of individual. No. And like, I believed that in for a little bit there, you know, he, he was coddling, but his mom and dad were still living with us at the time they stayed for a month. And so during that month, when his parents were there, our relationship was actually, I was afraid of him. Um, Being at the hospital and seeing other women afraid of him really helped me to see that this person is like, like a ticking time bomb. And I don't know why it was, but looking back, it was the nurses and seeing how afraid they were of him immediately upon meeting this person. Um, that really was off putting to me because I had never seen him besides being, you know, the happy outgoing person in front of other people that, you know, putting on that facade. So when I saw him at the hospital being his real self in front of these women and, you know, the, at one point he shoved my son on my breast and was telling me, this is how you feed him. And this is how you do it. Um, and I thought, how the heck do you know, you don't even have like a breast. So, um, but watching that and watching the nurse say, you don't need to push the baby's head like that. You don't need to be so aggressive with her. And how about you go take a walk and go get some water, go get a coffee. And then the nurse was so gentle with me. And I seeing that juxtaposition between like how this woman is and how this man is treating me. But then when I, yeah, after that month, when his parents went back, it got way worse. He was having emotional up and downs, like the crying, I I don't deserve you. I don't deserve to touch you or the baby. I'm not going to be anywhere near you. I'm going to go to the basement. I'm going to sleep in the basement. Um, Me so afraid of him with the up and down that I put a dresser. Yeah. Like, it was exhausting. And I, I felt like I had, our son was in our room, so I'd be feeding him. And then he got really jealous about the amount of time I was spending feeding our child and not paying attention to him and coddling to his needs that then he shook our son. And it was after he shook our son in the crib, he was a month old that I, he picked him up and I was like, he was trying to calm him down so that I didn't have to feed him because he didn't want him to feed me to feed him. And I thought this child's a, a newborn. Of course, he's hungry. And he took him into the bathroom and closed the door in our master suite. And I just remember bawling on the outside of the door saying, please oh, let me in, please let me in. And then he locked me in our master ensuite and told me that uh, you can sleep in the closet with the baby. You're not coming back in the room. Then he left the room um and slept in the hallway and like on a couch and then at one point he came into the room with a blanket on it was bawling and apologizing the up and down I was just so exhausted that I thought and he would tell me you you'll never survive raising this child on your own you need me I'll fight you for him which is probably what Amanda was hearing the same narrative like I'll fight you for your for the child um I'm never going to let you see him no one's going to believe you that I'm doing any of this stuff um And it was that power imbalance that I believed that, you know, he was a police officer. He knew all the police in our, in our, in our city. So I felt like I would not have any bearing when the police had come to the house um, twice before they 
called him by his first name because they knew who he was. They thought I was being emotional. They were telling me to calm down and did stop you crying. Watch, did you watch the, um, were you ever following the Gabby Petito case? I, I did after you um, posted a podcast about it. Um, well, when I watched the uh, body cam situation yeah, similar to you yes. I was so triggered that yes. I didn't sleep for like a week and a half it was um, it was I, I was following the entire story but for me bar none watching the interaction with the police officers and with Brian Landry Landry whatever his name is watching that what was for me what was so triggering it was like an instantaneous fucking bond yeah, that he was able to manipulate those police police officers into believing and literally forming this alliance against yeah. her, who yeah. was who did look crazy and distraught, and because she's was emotional. And, and, the, and the, I think also it was super triggering was her reaction where she's blaming herself for everything. Yes, yes. You know, I was emotional. I'm a perfectionist. Yes. And those are, those are terms he had implanted in her to get oh, her to feel yeah. those, the, those things. Cause I'm, where would she come up with the idea? You know, I'm OCD and I'm a perfectionist. Those were things he had screamed at her probably in the car right before that had happened. And so they were in her mind. And so she was apologizing for her behavior and her crying um, at whatever had happened in that vehicle, which we'll never know exactly what happened in that vehicle, but I can imagine what happened in that vehicle. But yeah, I feel that instantaneous relationship. And then I know you talked about a fist pump and I, yeah, the fist pump thing between the officer and him. And well, right was- then and there, right then and there as Gabby or anyone yeah. in, that, in that situation, when you observe the fist pump, you yeah. now, it, it's very crystal clear. They have formed that alliance. You are the outsider. Yeah. You are not going to be believed. Yep. That, and so when you see that, you feel completely powerless and defeated. And you just retreat because, holy shit, what just happened? There's witnesses that called and said they observed him hitting her. And yeah. now... She's seeing him fist pumping, creating this alliance with the police officers. Yeah. That so was how, so triggering for me. Oh yeah. Like, and I, that was triggering for me. And, but then also the, just watching her justify his behaviors. I just, yeah. I remember being that, I remember being her and thinking sure. I was a 28 year old version of her yeah. and yeah. she is so young and she yeah. has no, I like, I can't imagine being that young and in a relationship like that. Um, And I should have known much better because I had worked with criminals. So I knew what he was doing was criminal behavior at the house. But, you know, this poor young girl has no idea that this is her first probably, you know, big relationship and um, intense relationship. And she was also very dependent on him. They're traveling alone. Yes. Very but, dependent on him. And she would do anything at that point to de-escalate the situation. I am absolutely. going to bet you, I will bet you that that absolutely was not the first time no, that no. he has been physically um, aggressive towards her. And so I think that in her mind, she really wanted to just do anything to de-escalate that because she knows the wrath of what would happen if she was combative in that situation. Yeah, yeah. So um, I almost felt like watching that. I almost felt like they need every, they need in every situation like that an abused 
victim to go along on that fucking ride. Yeah, he yeah. He told you he's being hyper compliant, overly polite, super calm, cool, collected. It is just the the the. It is just the everything I would have expected him yeah. to be in that situation. Yeah. I feel like it could be a training video for police services because they need to look at that situation and then be able, if they can't pinpoint individually what that, what that, those officers did wrong, then they don't, they should not be working on the road with dealing with people with domestics um, in yeah. like any, in any capacity, because it's I feel complex. like yeah. domestic, domestic abuse is so complex. Um, I was having a conversation with a girlfriend this morning because that abuser, um, the perpetrator is also your savior many times. And so there's this like, almost like a trauma bonding or cognitive dissonance or Stockholm syndrome, something keeping you on that rope attached to that person. And it's just such a complexity that not a lot of people are equipped to understand, to know, to deal with literally unless you've been in that same similar situation it's almost like I can read the energy and the signs now instantaneously yeah no I and that's why I think after a relationship like you've had and I had I I really took carriage of um those red flags and I actually wrote them all out I wrote out all the red flags that I should have seen from day one and they could be something very subtle and I wrote them all out and I um put them I journaled them but then I also put all my non-negotiables of things that I'll never qualities in a person I will never date going forward for you it makes and I think everyone should do that because I never really looked at you know his drinking to me was no big deal because I, I had never been a drinker. So, you know, having a glass of wine at dinner seemed like mature, like this is a mature relationship. And I would carry the same glass of wine around all night with me because I wasn't a drinker and it was just to carry it in my hand. And I didn't realize how much he drank until I was pregnant with my son. And because I always thought when we had that bottle of wine that I was drinking the equivalent of half or something. But when I, when I was pregnant and I stopped drinking completely. And then when I continued to breastfeed my son, I didn't drink for two years. I would see the bottles pile up in the garage of the wine. And I would see how upset he would get if I didn't buy him a bottle of wine and it wasn't home when he got home from work that he would scream at me because he needed that, that alcohol. And it wasn't until those moments, you know, four years into the relationship that I realized, my God, this guy has an alcohol problem. But I think now, you know, those those situations that you will never get into again, which makes it very difficult to date someone because I don't give people second chances. So if they show me any of those personality treats, like that Maya Angelou quote that you have in your book, I believe them and I'm out and I leave very quickly. Um, But I think everyone should make a list of, you know, non-negotiables things that they need in a relationship and things that they will not tolerate in a relationship and then stick to those things because you know yourself better than anyone. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So how long, were, how long were you with him until you finally left? Like six you had years. The, had the, so you didn't leave until six years after your baby was born? No, like, I left, I left uh, 18 months after my son was born. Okay. Okay. So you met him. Okay. So six years from the time you met until you, whatever, got yeah. married and then left. Um, and so where are you today? Where is he today? Do you have, is it like, does he see, does he see your son? Yeah. So the, the court system, that's why I say to this Amanda girl, I get why she stayed. Um, 
yeah, like he sees him every other weekend and one night on the other week. Um, and it's, I spent countless dollars and, um, he went to jail. He was convicted of a bunch of assaults against me, went to jail. And when he got out of jail, the judge gave him, I wanted supervised access when he got out released from custody. And the judge gave him every other weekend, right. When he got out of custody and blamed me for being, um, too, like trying to keep him isolated from his son. And, um, our, my son is in counseling, um, because of like the emotional part of the abuse, he uses my son as a caveat to get information about my life. So he finds out information about, you know, if I'm dating anybody, if I'm seeing anybody, what kind of car I drive. I do, thankfully, the criminal system did um, give me a radius for him to stay away from my home, my work. Um, so the only place he can pick up our son is from school or a police department where a third party then has to pick up my son and bring me to bring my son to him. But that took a lot of years of fighting to get to that point. And so do you, um, are you, um, let me ask you this. Are you, uh, are you at a place in your life now where you feel at peace, content, or are, is there um, some part of you that still feels, um, I don't know, even afraid or because they're, they're so unpredictable. Do you have, like, I feel like he's, his behavior is so unpredictable. Do you feel safe? at this point, even though you've left? For the first, the first, like I've been out five years for the first three years while the criminal stuff was going on in the family court, I had to see him so often mm -hmm. um, for criminal uh, court and family court and stuff that I never really felt safe. And he was up and down like a yo-yo and I could physically see that up and down like a yo-yo, like in court and him crying and, you know, banging his head onto the table and those erratic behaviors. And then I could see my son who was nonverbal at the time, you know, exhibit some of the behaviors he was learning from his dad um and so then I kind of I was afraid obviously afraid for my son more so than for myself but also afraid of the unknown of like okay if he's acting like this in a public setting how is he acting when he's alone with my son right now you know my house my security in my house is ridiculous like the police did a safety audit on my home where they came and literally crawled through mud in my backyard to see you know where somebody could look into my house and put security features on my door my if my front door barks the that means that the front door is open if my security system you know the back door makes a moo sound so then I teach my son if the door opens in the front and it's a bark where do you run well I run to the cow sound so you know I've gone to the point where I feel my house feels very secure and I feel very secure in here but when I know he's coming into the neighborhood to pick up my son, I get really anxious about the idea that he's going to be close by and he uses my son to try to figure out where I live in the neighborhood and those kind of things. Um, he's now dating online, which concerns me for the next um, person that's going to be involved in that situation because he was convicted of assaulting another girl and, and like convicted of assaulting another girl um, before he met me. I found out his ex-wife had gone to a shelter with their other son when he was born as well. Oh, so, man there's a pattern there. Um, so I, I still, I'm still concerned, but mostly 100% of my concern is based around my son and like the emotional abuse that happens when he's there with his dad. Um, that's my complete focus. We don't communicate except for a parenting app, which I would suggest to everybody. Um, if you have to deal with the abuser still, I would say go with this parenting app. It's called My Family Wizard. It oh, tracks cool. everything um, and you can actually have it set up that your therapist can actually read all the messages as they're coming in. And you can see when they read the message. Um, 
and it just it has a tone meter on it. So it actually will give him a notification if his tone of his messages is That's negative. That's incredible. Towards me. So well, what yeah. is it again? Say it again. It's called My Family Wizard. My Family Wizard. And it's yeah. an app that you use if you're in sort of a, in a volatile. Yeah, I would suggest to any person who's going through and getting a separation agreement or a family court order, um, or even if you're doing it independently, but you've been in an abusive situation that you put that in. Because um, emails... You can lose track of them or they can be deleted if he's able to hack in. But this app is an app on your phone and um, you can put in your payment plans in there. If they're paying, you know, some sort of support, you can put pictures of your children in there. You can store appointments and schedules for your kids so that you don't actually have to communicate very often about anything. Um, And for me, it's funny, this tone meter will say, like, if I use the word, listen to me, like it'll highlight it in red to say that's that sounds aggressive and so would you want to change it so when he oh sends oh my god a, I love this yeah so it actually for me I'm not like an aggressive person in messages but he is so it should be like a, a moment where it should give him pause to change his words and when he doesn't I know that he's really off and he's just sending a message and he it's better hear. than a text yeah he doesn't give a shit if no, it's, if it's highlighted red all over the place, no, he doesn't care. but he can't write words like you're a whore, bitch, any swear words in this app yeah. at all. It won't allow him to send it. It will pop, it will stop him from sending it. If it's a, a, a oh, like a swear great. word, this is, this is invaluable information. And as you were talking, I actually wrote on the sheet where I had notes to talk to you. I actually wrote on here. Excellent episode. I think <laughs> this conversation that we've had today is going to be so powerful for so many women. You have no idea. I mean, I I don't know. I have like maybe what, 13,000 followers. And I will probably get on average about 10 messages per week about this exact um, situation where women feel stuck, feel powerless, feel defeated. This app in itself is like invaluable information. Yeah, I think it, I, it helped me a lot just for, for keeping things organized, but then also for a check and balance of, you know, again, if he's sending these well, messages. And, 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 and I love that it's monitored. You yeah, have yeah. Say a counselor that's able to see the transactional conversation back and forth. Yeah. So I mean, it may, keeps him accountable. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it there, and you can actually have it set up that even your lawyers are able to access the app directly. You can I think put in. Phenomenal. And so it's like, I don't have my lawyer on there personally, but for me having um, that check and balance, but for women who are thinking of leaving, because I remember that stuck feeling too. um, Every community has like a victim services or a women's crisis center and doesn't mean you have to go to a shelter but they will safety plan with you. And I remember when I first left him, um, I didn't call the police. The day I left was we went to counseling. I came home from counseling and he was very angry because the counselor had gone at him and pointed out his abusive qualities. So he was really angry. Uh, I picked up our son from daycare and I came home. And when I got home, he was leaving the house with a duffel bag and I could see he had a shot, his shotgun in it. My concern was that, he was going to hurt himself or he was going to come home. We lived on like a land that had a forest behind it, or he's going to come home and shoot me. I didn't know, but I knew he had access to um, bullets at work and that he was supposed to go to work late that night, but not that early. So I just said, I can't stay in this house anymore. Um, 
he's angry. Um, I was worried about his well-being. I called his supervisor and said, I'm worried about his well-being. Yeah. And I took our son and I left and I went to my parents' house, which he knew where my parents lived. So the minute the next day, the police called me to do an interview. Um, I didn't disclose very much, but then a week later when I was going in for my police interview, they said, you can't stay in your parents' home. Um, he's going to know that he's being investigated. So you're going to need to move to a shelter. And I went to a women's shelter with my son oh my and they safety plan with you. So if you're thinking of leaving, you don't need to go into a shelter. They were you working at that? Like, did you financially, were you dependent on him at the time that you left or did you have your own way of providing for yourself? So I had, we had a joint bank account, which I would say to everyone not to do in a, any situation, any, whether it's a great relationship, have separate bank accounts and then have one mutual that you pay your house costs into. But we had a joint bank account. And the day that I left, I only got paid. I had a a good job. Um, I was getting paid really well. Um, he got paid a lot more, obviously, but our joint bank account, um, he did all the finances and paid all of our bills and everything. And so we had a home together, we had a mortgage. And when I left, um, I was going to get paid at the end of the month. And as soon as I left, he took out all of the money in our account. He drained our checkings account. He drained our savings account. And my pay for my month had just gone in there. So I had no money coming in. But I was in a su super lucky situation where I had my parents. And my parents, you know, helped me pay my car payment that month. They helped me pay for my gas. Um, they bought formula for my son diapers, whatever I needed. But when you safety plan with these uh, women's crisis centers, they will actually help you, you know, think about where you leave your keys at night before when you go to bed. If, and this is all, if you're just planning on leaving, yeah. they will. An exit they, strategy. Yeah. An exit strategy. When, yeah. where do you, do you have an extra bag you can leave at work with, you know, your children's things so that, you know, if you decide to leave, you have that bag at work to just take it and go. Um, or can you leave a bag at a friend's house? I always carried a bag, a duffel bag in the back of my car with extra things just in case I decided to leave that day. Um, they helped me plan everything. And then they communicated with me uh, with a victim services worker who would call me and then I would save her number as something else like so I saved her number as her name and she would just call me and check in with me and always knew that she could check in with me at work or um, when I was out for a walk with our um, our baby and she would just have a she would always says safe time and then that would be the time for us to talk but that safety planning was invaluable because if I didn't have my keys where they were at certain times I wouldn't have been able to get out of I would have been in way worse situations where I was able to get my son before that final day that I left, I was able to get out of that house because I left a spare key on a certain spot on my car to make sure I had it to get out of the house. Um, leaving stuff in your closet so that if you need to lock, finding the room in the house that has a lock on the door and getting there. Um, and then they help you when you leave. Um, and, and when you get into your own home, I remember a, um, a victim support worker coming into my house and it was the most powerful thing I've ever seen. She had me sitting at the kitchen table and she said, okay, he's in your house. Where do you go? He's in the kitchen right now. Where are you going to go? And I said, I would run to the bathroom because it had a lock on the door. Mm -hmm. And she thought, and she told me that's the stupidest thing you can do because now you're locked in a, in a, a location. Yes. And I had done that in our house. I had run to the bathroom and he had taken the door off the hinges before and dragged oh, me out. Wow. So she was able to remind me of that and tell me where to go. And I think that's super important to just visualize those things when you leave so that, yeah. you know, and you feel very confident that 
if the situation arises and he comes for you, you know how to get out. But the women's shelters are amazing. They'll provide you clothes, uh, so baby stuff. Okay, so you, so you went to your parents' house. Yep. This is going to be one of these podcasts that's going to go way over the time that I wanted to do. Okay, so you got your parents' house. Now you've also got a legal battle, right? Because now you, yep. you divide up your assets and make, make sure that you're fully self, you know, sufficient yeah yeah yes so how how was that with him because it sounds like it probably would have been a high conflict divorce um were you able to get equity out of the house how were you able to then move on and have your own place to live um Um, I think the key thing is and it's something you've talked about in one of your other podcasts is to um get a lawyer or get legal advice like right off the bat 100% and that's one of the things, like at least locally here where I live, they have a, a crown attorney and a family lawyer that are at your disposal to talk to you, not a crown attorney, but a family lawyer and a, um, a victim support worker. And they'll both kind of help you through that situation. But I um, got an emergency order for protection for myself and my son um, right off the bat through the family court. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing I did. Um and they have free lawyers at these victim services, or they'll provide you with a lawyer if you can't afford one at the beginning, just to, just to represent you for those first hearings to make sure that you can get those protection orders. Um, and then the dividing of the assets was um, a long you, process. He, he didn't fight you on the dividing of the assets? Oh, he, he did, yeah. Yes, that's he what I was going to say. It sounded to me, having been through this, it sounds to me like it'd be a high conflict divorce and you're going to encounter a battle every freaking step of the way. Yeah, I did. I 100% did. For me, the physical things in the house did not matter. He he took, he took everything out of the house. Like when I, um, I put our house for sale. I did that. Um, as soon as I left and I had reported him, I, um, decided to right away, um, put the house for sale to get it out of the way because he was living in the house. I was living in a shelter. I thought, let's just get rid of the house. He had been before threatening me that we should separate and um, sell that he was going to take the house from me and everything. So I said, unless you want to keep it, I'm putting it for sale. I put it for sale. Um, We sold it right away. And then we divided that equity that we made off the house equally to basically pay for our lawyers. And the rest of the money he had brought into the house, he took away with him. And um, I didn't go for spousal support. I didn't go for any of that stuff. I just wanted to be away from him. Yeah. But I'm, I was in a lucky situation where I, I could do that because I had my family support. Um, I, I just lived very minimally at the beginning yeah. um, with my parents. And then I saved up money. And eventually after um, about four years, I was able to go and purchase a home, but everything in the house he took the day that I, of closing, I went into the house to pick up my clothes, which essentially is, was all that was there. And he had put all my clothes in garbage bags in the garage. And it was, there were shredded things. He had shredded some of my dresses. Oh my um, God. So my ex husband similar, the, our stories are so similar. It's freaking me out. So same. And I remember my ex-husband even took my Portuguese sewing basket it yeah, yeah. my grandmother, which I painstakingly packed and put it on in a suitcase on a plane, like from Portugal. Yeah. And, um, 
And he came in one day, same thing. I had been granted exclusive temporary possession of the home. So the judge ordered him out um, because he would not leave. And uh, and he came in one day and just basically cleaned it out and yep. left me with nothing. And I was actually laughing, thinking, do you think I give a rat's ass about this yeah. shit? At this point now, it's just freaking stuff it means nothing yeah. and I had to smirk like when he took I'm like you're gonna take my grandmother's sewing basket it is literally out of spite yeah what yeah. are you going to do with that sewing basket you jerk off <laughs> I was like it, it's it, a controlling it, thing it's like it's, it's a control thing. controlling thing a hundred percent I mean it had sentimental value to me more than anything um, cause I remember watching my grandma in the kitchen, you know, doing sewing, you know, with that little basket and all her stuff in there. Um, so sentimental, but it's a complete control thing. And I have to say that now for anyone that knows me or knows my story, I was in a very financially privileged, uh, marriage and, and I did what you did same went back to living very simplistically, very minimalistic. I, I remember getting rid of my landline getting rid of uh, cable, just going really to the bare necessities. I had to basically, uh, no support for me as well, zero support. Yep. So I had to, um, uh, and that was being in, in, in court for three years and battling yep. it out when I finally said enough. I, I would rather live under a bridge at this point than continue this, this insanity where my mental health is really uh, you know, deteriorating. So left with no support. And have gone on now to, to realize that what I had then was nothing to what I have now, which is not anywhere near materialistically what I had. Uh, yeah. You know, I had lots of things and stuff and cars and homes and all that, but I didn't have what's really important. And just like you now, just having the peace, the serenity that not walking on eggshells, that having a loving, you know, a home for your son, that you could able to provide that environment for your kids. That to me is my kick-ass life today. And it's yeah. priceless. And I, I commend you and I applaud you for having gone what you went through. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and talking about this because I can guarantee you, Jen, that you, your story is going to resonate with so many women. I am convinced that this conversation that we've had is going to really be food for thought for a lot of women who feel like they can't leave. They are stuck. They've got nowhere to go. They feel alone. And this, if anything, um, you know, is going to really reiterate and empower some of those women that feel completely, well, it's fear. Fear just leaves you completely complacent and they're afraid. And if you conquer the fear and want a better life for yourself, and for me, it wasn't even about myself. It was about a better life for my kids. And I wanted them to be proud of me. And um, because like, like you, it wasn't until that you feel like your child is in danger that you know you sort of make that move to want better. Um, and so I honestly, I applaud you. I think that what you went through was so courageous and so brave. And the most important thing is you can now look forward to a life of, um, of just peace with your son and providing the best home you can for him. We still need to do better 
when it comes to the court system in protecting the children. Um, I still think that we've got a far, you know, a, a long way to go. I mean, I'm sure that you don't want your child in therapy um, as yeah. a result of having, you know, being exposed to someone that is abusive. So I still do think that we have a long way to go, but I think that having these conversations are definitely a stepping stone to making the changes that we as a society need in order to, um, you know, really thrive and live a life that we're meant to live um, and provide for and keep our kids safe. So yeah, I think, so I think with your, when we circle back to, you know, how you were raised and your family, you've broken that pattern now that your, you know, your dad and your dad's dad had, because now your kids are being raised in an environment where your daughter is learning that, you know, you demanded respect from somebody and you chose them over staying in a relationship of privilege, essentially. And your sons are going to know how to treat a woman, but then also they're going to see that you are a strong woman. So when you look at your mom and you see that, you know, she doesn't have, she doesn't know what love is from a man, your sons will see that and see that you've done that for themselves. And so there's a huge level of respect that they have for you and that open conversation they can come to you. And that's what I, for all the crap that I went through, I know that my son will never see me and as like a weak person or afraid or any of those qualities because he will not have that example in my household and he will never know what his brother went through in terms of you know not having support from either side for you know the ab emotional abuse he was going through in that home because he knows he has a, sa a safe place to land and that's why your kids come around so much with you is because they know you're their safe I mean their dad is great to them as well but they know that you're a safety net for them and they can come home to you so you've broken that cycle and I think women looking at leaving for all the hardship you will go through because it is hard you will want to go back you will romanticize that person that you dated and moments that you had that were great but when you leave and you see your child happy and you see your child safe and you look back and you'll say, I did the right thing for my kids. And if you don't have kids, when you see yourself happy in general and realize I came out of this and I'm okay and I've gone through this, anything else that happens in life to me, I don't stress about it anymore because I've gone through the worst thing possible yeah. and I'm out and on my own. So, you know, piddly things like finances or, yeah you know, a car accident or whatever, like not a serious one, but like a fender bender, which would have set me off like crazy before with stress levels. They don't, every, everything just rolls off my back now. Respectful. So when your roof, your roof situation that you had at your house, yes. you know, when your yes. roof wasn't doing so good, yes. you, you laughed it off because yeah. you were like, I cannot believe this is happening because yeah. you've yeah. gone through all that crop. You're like, this is nothing. In the big scheme of things in the big picture, it doesn't matter. I'm going to yeah. close. I'm just going to close off by saying one more thing to you. Um, I know that you, your son is young, six years old. Yeah. Right? Okay. So I have three adult children, um, Blake, as you know, um, Blake who's 31, uh, Cody's 29 and Taylor's 26. So they were with me for the majority of the, that, um, marriage that 15 years where I chose easy. I chose easy over, um, you know, it's kind of easier to stay than it is to leave. When yep. you leave, there's so many sacrifices, compromising, your whole life is going to change. You're going to have to give up um, a lot of things that you were very comfortable with. And sometimes the, what's that expression? The, 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 um, the devil that you know is, is better than the devil that you don't or wh whatever that expression is. So sometimes 
it is easier to stay. What I can tell you, having gone through this experience, is that as my children, as adults now, knowing what I was, what I went through, um, and knowing how unhappy I was, having seen me be arrested, um, having seen me being put in the back of a police car, um, again, because I was the, the aggressor and he was the victim, just like, just like Gabby Petito. Yep. Having seen that, having seen, and I'm embarrassed to say that so many times I would say to my children, um, I would sweep it under the rug and, you know, he's not a bad guy, blah, blah, blah. Um, when they've seen their mom thrown into the back of a police cruiser and taken off to jail and the tears and the tears and the tears that today, when they tell me that they are so proud of the person that I have become and have been able to conquer that adversity and everything that I've come through. I mean, I was 14 years old working my first job in a donut shop working the, the night shift. My parents came from Portugal with $237 in their pocket. I didn't have the luxury of turning to my parents for financial assistance, although they would have done anything and everything for us all girls. I didn't have that. So they know that for the most part where I am today is because I have had the fortitude to be resourceful, to be strong, to be resilient, to be courageous. Um, and when I hear that that inspires them or that they are super proud of me, nothing, nothing, Jen, will make you happier than to have your son look at you with respect and love and admiration. Yeah, no, nothing. It already, I already feel nothing. that way and he's little and, and can't articulate it, it will. that. It will come. It, I swear you stay connected to your children you have them run to you rather than run from you when there's a problem in their life or they're, you know, they're, they want to talk to you about it and are afraid to come to you. I love my children all obviously equally. Um, and they are the light of my life. You stay connected to them. You, you guide them. You listen to them. You plug in. You are present. And you will have one of the best relationships that honestly that the world can ever, um, I think, offer you. There is no relationship like a for me, like a mother child relationship, which I cherish and embrace. And I am so happy that I, I would not, I would have been doing a disservice to my children to have stayed in that relationship. And I, it kills me, kills me to think that they would have not had respect for me as adults for having not had the guts, the courage to stand up for myself. Yeah. And children are the, the resilience you build in them when you, um, when they go through these things and they've come out on the other side, just in themselves, like your kids are very resilient, I think for that reason. And that's what I hope I can already see that in my son. And he's only six that he's very resilient and like very observant of people's emotions. And I think, um, I think that's really fantastic. And I think, yeah, if women, if they don't feel like they, there's a reason to do it make the reason their kids to leave the situation because if the kids are the reason to leave it'll motivate you to well my daughter was my reason I agree my daughter yeah. was definitely my reason to leave uh my daughter was the, yeah that one morning I went into her room and uh that was it I never looked back uh because she was she was hurting so bad and I wasn't I could not provide a home for her um that was uh, a soft place to land when she really needed it and at that that at that very moment I thought no 
no, I, and I don't even, I, it was like divine intervention. I have no other way to explain it. Um, and then from that moment on, it was, uh, it was, you know, uh, now this is for my kids. Yeah. Like I, I consider my son, my guardian angel, because he called, he's the reason that I left. Like I probably would still be in that situation, living that same reciprocal thing. And I think your daughter was your guardian angel in that situation that she said, you know, she was hiding in her room to get away from the situation and away from the yelling. And you saw that and she was sobbing. She yeah, she personified that how you were feeling that sobbing was how you were feeling inside of how you were and what you were masking down. So it was great that she was there for you for that. Yeah. And I don't, and in my book, I mean, I really don't talk a lot about the nitty gritties of what was really happening. And during that nine months that we were living together, because that was all kinds of crazy. And that maybe might, might be my, my, what is that called? My sequel, my, what do you call that when you write a your, book? Your neck. It's a sequel. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um oh my god yeah well yeah that's a whole other thing um but listen I want to say you guys this was a good one today this was so good thank you for your candor thank you for your honesty thank you for being brave enough to talk about this um and I would love to have you back and let's talk about I think it was chapter four I think sure I put you down for chapter four Oh, the breakup and makeup game, chapter yeah. four. Yeah, the breakup and makeup, the roller coaster ride of that. So let's come, we'll, we'll, we'll reconnect again because I thought this was so good. So I'll have you back to talk about chapter four. I have to um, sign off now. Thank you so yep. much for being a part of-, of Thank you for having me. Podcast, it was a pleasure. And for all of you um, that were listening, thank you for uh, staying with us. Thank you for listening to another episode of- Get real with Mama Moines and we will be back next week with chapter three. Thanks guys. Bye.